Alrighty, my name is Lau. I'm one of the pastors here, and just want to say welcome. If it's your first time, just want to say thanks for coming. I pray that this service and your time with us is a blessing. So if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is kind of like a, a small little letter in the second half of the New Testament. Uh, that's where we're going to be kind of camping out. It, the Two of the verses are in your bulletin, uh, but we didn't get all those in there, um, so I kind of made a pivot toward the end of the week. Uh, but there's other passages in there that would kind of go along the theme of what we're talking about uh, this morning. I encourage you to kind of take a look at those throughout the week. So before we dive in and read uh, the text, just a couple, a few things here. Number one, thank you guys for the, the way you loved our community with the trunk retreat. Uh, man, that was so much fun, and I had so many people come to me and just talk about the just like the, the seriousness that a lot of our groups took in decorating their trunks. And so like, dude, that was stinking awesome. You know, the, the volcano, the, bum, bum, uh, the gumball machine. I mean, I can go on and on. But man, it was some really beautiful stuff. So thank you for the seriousness of just like, yeah, I want to do this really, really well. And our kids... Uh, greatly loved it. Secondly, we had our grease team that got back. They were here last Sunday. We'll have a report from them at the end of this month. They're in our members meeting. So uh, we had a team of people that went over and served a lot of our missionaries that are overseas. So thank you for that. Uh, and then lastly, our high school fall weekend uh, just uh, ended up, a, not this weekend, but the weekend before. And it was a great, great weekend. Uh, we had two of our students who professed faith in Christ for the very first time. And two of those students went on scholarship because of your generosity and giving to allow them to go and be a part of that. And so Zach and his team will be doing some follow-up with them and hopefully we'll have the opportunity of celebrating with them as they go public with their faith. So yeah, just a lot of beautiful things that are going on in the life of our church that we're just so, so thankful for, all right? So I realize it's 11.50, all right? I get that. And so usually I'm halfway through my sermon by now, all right? But guess what? We're just starting, amen? So um, I'm gonna, yeah, we're gonna work through it. We're gonna get through this. Yeah, I'm not great at like cutting on the fly, so we're just gonna buckle up, amen? And we're gonna love those workers back there so I don't get, like, emails where they're cussing at me the whole time. Amen? So, all right, so give them a big hug and high five as you go pick up your kids on the way out. So let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. So hear the word of the Lord. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show off the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for a beautiful celebration this morning in the midst of 
pain and tragedy that some of us feel in this room with the loss of a close friend like Jason Spencer. And so God, we, we thank you that you understand our humanity, that we can bring both of those into your presence, and you get it. God, we also remember our veterans, Lord. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and we give thanks to them. Lord, there's a lot of times when I personally forget, Lord, that it's through the sacrifice of men and women that we have the opportunity to come here today as well as go home tonight, and most of us will fall asleep not fearful of being killed. Thank you for them. And we pray for husbands and wives and moms and dads who have loved ones that are still in the armed forces in the, in the overseas, even right now, Lord, uh, protecting um, our country. So give them grace and give them a, a real peace. So we ask for help in understanding this word, Lord. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're just joining us, you know, our normal mode of operation here is usually we pick a book of the Bible and we'll kind of work through it. Periodically throughout the year, uh, we'll do some just short, like, spinoff series, you know, just where we feel like it's important for us to dive into something in the life of our church. And we're doing one with this uh, five solas is what we kind of called this. So this is celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And I know most of us go like solas, that's not a word that we use a whole lot, but it's just a Latin word for alone. So if you think, you know, and I said this last week, but I like saying things again, so it's okay. So if you think flying sola or Han sola, right, you're kind of catching my drift there. Thanks for the few people that laughed there. That's really awesome. I love the encouragement I'm receiving from you guys. So, so but here's the thing that we got to know is like these five solas, uh, uh, scripture alone, uh, faith alone, uh, grace alone, Christ alone, and glory of God alone, were not developed and created by Martin Luther. They're, they kind of came after him as a way of kind of capturing the essence of what this Reformation was all about. Because what Martin Luther was trying to do in this Reformation was simply answer one question. That's it. I mean, just one question was all he was trying to do, and that is this. How can I be saved? How can I be made right with God? How can I be in a right relationship with God? A sinful man who still sins, how can he be in a right relationship with God who is holy, pure, and hates sin and turns his back on it? Like, how, how can that be possible? How in the world can I know with certainty that God is for me forever? Even when there's times when I'm not for him. Even in the times when I turn my back on him. Even in the times, and I know this may be a little far-fetched, but we give the finger to God, right? And we do what we want to do. How can I know with certainty that even in the midst of those times that God can be for me and not against me? That's the question that Martin Luther was trying to answer. So a couple weeks ago, we started off with Scripture alone, talking about our authority, the foundation by which we live by and stand upon. Last week, we talked about faith alone. And today, we're talking about grace alone. So way before Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses on uh, that door there in Germany, he was also a professor that taught at a university. And so anytime that he uh, got to talking about what, what is salvation, this is what he would teach. This is what he would teach about salvation. He would say this, salvation is by grace, not because of merits or work that we do. Salvation is given out of the pure mercy of the promising God. And so when you first read this, you're like, hey, I, there's no, I don't have any problem with that. Like this seems consistent with what we've taught, seems consistent with what we find in scripture. I don't see any 
thing wrong with that. So what's this big deal about grace alone? Well, Martin Luther would go on and say this when he's teaching about salvation and grace. He would say this, God does save by grace, but that grace is given to those who are prepared for it, who do what is in them to be fit for grace. God will not deny grace to those who do their best. And so it's, it's kind of like a, a two-handed job here. So God plays his part and man plays his part. God gives grace and bestows grace as long as humanity kind of does their part, acts good and, and follows through with the, the good intentions of their own heart. And when they do that, then God bestows, God gives grace. So the issue here an issue in this time was not the existence of grace, was it? That's not the issue. The issue is the extent of grace. You see, the way that we would kind of like translate this is what Benjamin Franklin said, right? God helps those who, say it out loud, who helps themselves. So as long as you do your part, God comes in and does his part. Now, there's all, I mean, there's all kinds of problems with that, but there's two that are huge. One, when is it enough, right? If, if this is how I'm saved, that I've got to do my part, I've got to do enough, and then eventually God comes in and, with his grace and saves me, and you know, I escape the judgment that's going to come. Like, when is enough? How do I know that I've reached that mark to where the grace of God comes in? When is good, good enough? And that's the question that literally almost drove Martin Luther, crazy, because he never felt like he did enough to please a God that is holy. So that's one problem. The second problem is it, it doesn't line up with the Bible. It doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches. I mean, we see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Man, this is like the softball of all softballs, right, on the grace of God. I mean, I tried to emphasize grace as I read through this passage of Scripture. It's, it's a beautiful testimony and a witness of God's grace alone is what saves us. And I know he kind of starts off with giving us once again some really bad news about humanity. And he says that we were dead. That's, that's humanity apart from God. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. So look, man, none of us in this room are going to debate or deny the reality of physical death. All of us, if you have sanity, do not say, hey, physical death is an illusion. You just need not believe in it and you'll never die. No, physical death is in our world. It's in your story and it affects all of us in this room. I mean, we, we see this in a very powerful way this week, as was said in the beginning with Eddie Evans. We got the shootings that happened in Texas. We've got Jason Spencer, who was a member at our Midtown campus, was having a walk with his wife at Cherokee Park, was gunned down. They've been married for nine months. His wife watched all of this. And then even on my way to work on Friday, I hear that a teacher at PRP was giving birth to twins, and she died. She's the wife of their new head football coach. They're at Pleasure Ridge Park. So death is a reality. No one's denying or debating the existence of death. But here's what they are debating is how it got here. Why is death a part of our story? Well, Paul tells us really clearly. I mean, I love when the Bible's really clear because there's sometimes when it's not real clear. But there's a lot of times when it is. But look what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This is how death got here. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, 
and death through sin. In this way, death came to all men because all of sin. Now, just a little bit of explanation here for us. Who's the one man? Well, the one man is Adam. And that man, representing all of humanity, chose to disobey God when God said, hey, don't eat of this tree. He said, I'm a lot better. I know what's going on. I know what's better for me, right or wrong. I'm going to eat of this tree. And when Adam, representing all of humanity, ate of this tree, death entered into the world because sin entered into the world. And what Paul is emphasizing here is not the reality of physical death. He's emphasizing the reality of spiritual death. Because not only did sin bring physical death in the world, it also brought spiritual death. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. So what is true about someone being physically dead is also true about someone being spiritually dead. Make those connections. Even throughout this today, think about that metaphor. Whatever's true of us physically dead is also true of us spiritually dead. Meaning this, one of them that my greatest need is not to be reformed. As if, if, I'm, if I'm put in the right environment with the right education and the right family, then I'm always gonna do the right thing and I'm able to, to act in such a way to where God's gonna bring favor on me and I can have a right relationship with God. I don't need reform. I need resurrected. Because I'm dead. I'm dead. So not only are we spiritually dead, but there's another phrase at the very end of that, verse three, where he says, by nature, we're objects of wrath. By nature, we are objects of wrath. And so that tells me this, that sin is not just something that we do, it's who we are, it's our bent. It's at the core of our being. It's a part of our DNA. It's not just what I do, it's also who I am, Martin Luther uses uh, the beards illustration, beards, like not, not beards like in last name beards who are in our midst, but beards illustration of facial hair. He loves this illustration. So I thought, you know, it's no shave November, right? And I'm sort of trying, okay? I really am. I'm 48 years old and I feel like my beard's like a teenager, right? It's like patches all over here. And, and Tony Stanrod was over here singing just a few minutes ago. And I just, he's got a beautiful beard, and I was trying to worship, but I just kept looking at that beard going, man, I wish I had that beard. That's just so, I want to touch it right now. I know it's kind of weird, right? But Martin Luther used to say, I mean, we know this. This is not like no-brainer, new stuff. He said, you know, when you shave, when you get up in the morning, you shave, you can kind of look nice and clean on the outside, but in a couple days, or for guys like Tony Stanrod, in 30 minutes, right, what happens? It's back. It grows. Why? Because it's, it's in you. It's who you are. Ladies shave their legs. Some do, some don't. There's gospel freedom there. Amen. But the same thing happens to you too, right? Like you, you shave and then guess what? The next day it grows. It's there. It's, it's a part of who you are. It's in your DNA. And that's what Paul is getting at when he talks about us being odd nature. By our nature, it's in us. Our bent is not to do what God wants us to do. Our bent is not to love God. Our bent is to be obedient at the core of our being. Guys, and I know this is not great news, but you've got to hear what the Bible's teaching about humanity because it makes a whole lot of sense. If it would just step back and observe at the core of our being is rebellion against God. 
G.K. Chesterton, an older theologian, says this. Original sin, which is what Paul's unpacking here in these first three verses, is the only Christian doctrine that is empirically verifiable, right? All people sin. All people imitate sin. All people have a propensity to sin. All people are habitually addicted to sin. All people are guilty of sin. That human beings sin, transgress, break laws, violate rights, and commit immoral deeds is self-evident to everyone. I think it's Blaise Pascal that said this, that, that true religion is, is the one that gives an answer to both the the beauty of humanity, because there are some beautiful things that humanity's done. Thank God for antibiotics, right? I mean, thank God we're not going to the doctor and saying, well, you need to bleed that out. Thank God for that. And a human being came up with that. But then we got the Holocaust. True religion is able to explain both of those, and Christianity does. The image of God and the sin nature. They're one and the same, they're together. He goes on and says this. I have to confess <laughs> that one of the things that amazed me as a parent <laughs> was that I never had to teach my children how to lie. Amen? All the parents in the room. Boy, it'd be so much easier if we had to teach them how to lie, right? Let me teach you how to lie. Let me, let me give you a little. You know what I'm saying? It's been so much better as a parent. But they pick it up quite naturally. Look, Paul, he's not saying that human beings are as evil and as bad as they could be. He's helping us see in relationship to God what is our status, and our status is we're spiritually dead. We're a corpse. Now why, why are you, why are you hammering on this, and why is Paul and why is this such a big deal? And the reason why it's a big deal is because like, if we're really honest, I think, I think in all of us, there's this idea or this thought that, that there's something in us that started God's rescue and salvation of me. That there was something in me, a spark of a good deed, or, or maybe God saw in the future and saw that I would put faith and trust in Jesus. And so because of that, that started God's rescue and salvation of me. Now the problem with that is that doesn't seem to be consistent with Scripture here, does it? Or maybe you haven't, and I've shared this with shared this before, but maybe you have a kind of a vision of, of being saved by God as if you're out in the ocean and the waves are crashing over you. You're, you're running out of breath. You, you go under, then you come back up. You get a big deep air breath. You go back under and you're yelling for help, help me. And then someone throws you a life preserver. And if you grab a hold of that life preserver, if you just grab that life preserver, then you'll be saved. Some of you have that picture of what salvation is. But Paul comes and says, no, that's wrong. You're dead. You're not paddling around on, the top, on top of the water. You're dead. You're a corpse. You're at the bottom of the ocean. And I don't know about you. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I've never seen a dead person respond to grab a hold of the life preserver. And what you need is a resurrection. You need Jesus, God's son, 
to dive in that ocean and resurrect your dead body. It's on the bottom of the ocean. One writer says it like this, just as the physical, physically dead cannot communicate with the living, so also those who are spiritually dead cannot communicate with the eternal living God. Now look, look. I know that sounds really awful, right? It does, and it needs to feel. You need to feel the weight of that because Paul is wanting you to feel that. He's not just doing that to make you feel really, really miserable, but he wants you to feel a little bit of how miserable of a state you're in so that when verse 4 comes in, you're like, hallelujah, right? Because what Paul is wanting to do is magnify the grace of God, magnify the beauty of the grace of God by showing us our spiritual state, that we're dead. So that when verse 4 comes in, that but is a wonderful but. Amen? Right? I know it sounds really weird, but you're with me, right? That but is beautiful. Because I recognize that I'm not on top of the water saying, help me. I'm on the bottom of the ocean. And by God's grace, he resurrects me. Look what Paul says here. I love this. Verse 4, but because of his great Love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, what did he do? He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. Not when I rose, raised my hand and said, I want Jesus. No, no, that's not when God saved you. Not when I walked an aisle. Not when I got baptized. Not when I heard an amazing speaker. No, no. No, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And Jesus came and resurrected you to life. Now, I know there's all kinds of debate and questions like, whoa, 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 hold on, but what about this? Is my response that matter? Did my choice? What are you talking? Like, I, I don't have time. It's 1210 to dive into all of those things, right? But I'm just trying to allow Scripture to speak. And don't wrestle with me. Wrestle with the Bible. Yes, your response matters, but I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. You would never respond with yes to Jesus, unless Jesus empowered you to respond yes to Jesus. He goes on. When you're dead in your transgression and sins, it is by grace you have been saved, and God raised you up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order, why? That in the coming age he might show off the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by what? Grace. You have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift. Look, guys, the, the issue in the Reformation was never the issue of the word grace. That was never the controversy. The controversy was the word alone. Sola. Grace alone. That, it, that it's not dependent on my effort, not dependent on how good I am, how well I try, the good intentions that I have. No, God's salvation is a gift. It's a gift. It's grace alone. Notice a few things in this passage. Scripture made us alive is the first verb. That whole entire passage, the first three verses, there's no verb there in the original language. Made us alive is the first verb. And who's the subject? Say it out loud. Oh, awesome. Super. Yes. I'll say it with you with a little gusto. Right? God's the, the, the subject of that. Jesus is the subject. He doesn't say, and Lyle made himself alive. Hallelujah. Lyle, you're awesome. Right? That's what it says there. 
God came and he made us alive. How? By his grace you have been saved. That verb there, saved, is written in the perfect tense. And I know I'm horrible with English. And if I was sitting right where you are and someone said something about English, I would probably start falling asleep. Please don't do that. But here's what the perfect tense means. It's very important that we get this. The perfect tense describes a completed verbal action that occurred in the past, but which produced a state of being as a result that exists in the present. And it should be on the screen, but I may have forgotten to put that up there, so hang with me. The emphasis of the perfect is not the past action so much as it is as such, but the present state of affairs resulting from the past action. Translation for all of us that are like me, bored when it comes to English stuff or horrible at it. Here's what he's saying. That salvation from beginning to end is grace alone, period. So yes, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It does, listen to me, not matter what you do. It's all grace. As one writer says this, and this may sound crazy, but if you get grace, this is what he's saying, you have unlimited free sins. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, I paid it all. I paid it all. He looked at you and he saw all your sin. And it's all done. It's all paid for. You have unlimited free sins. That's grace. And that's what all of humanity longs for. And it's what your human heart longs for. That someone can love you unconditionally. He goes on. And this is all happening in order that in the coming ages, which is future, coming up, he might show us off. That's my extra translation. Sorry about that. It's not probably in there. He might show the incomparable riches of what? Of how awesome we were? Of all the good acts that we did? No. Of his grace. So everything that I do in this life, you know this if you're a Christian. It's all grace. I would not be here today if it wasn't for the grace of God. You would not be here today worshiping as a body, gathering with people on Sundays without the grace of God. You, you get this. It's the grace of God from beginning to end. It's grace alone, period. So, so think about this with me. If you would leave here today and someone would, you know, maybe you're a I know you can be at Chick-fil-A because they're closed on Sunday. But another restaurant, you know, that you were at today, and somebody came up to you and says, are you a Christian, right? And if you're a Christian here, you would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then if they ask you why, why are you a Christian? If the first word that comes out of your mouth is, I was baptized when I was 13. I went to a retreat and heard the gospel and received it. I walked down an aisle and trusted in Christ. Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay that that wasn't reality and that wasn't your experience. But what we see here in this text is this. You're a Christian because God. You're a Christian 
but because God, who is great in love and rich in mercy, breathed life into you through his son, Jesus Christ. It's by grace. It's said that after these teachings of Martin Luther began to kind of take root, um, man, in some places, there was some crazy sin going on in people's lives. Like crazy stuff. To where they're kind of like taking this to, and drawing implications that Martin Luther never intended. Made him depressed, brokenhearted at some extent. And there's a friend that came to him and asked him this. and said, if you had to do it over again, if you had to do it all over again, would you have preached the same gospel of grace? And it says that Martin Luther thought about it for a little bit, and he said this back to his friend. I would do the same thing because it would be better for them to know the gospel and not live it than not to know the true gospel. Because Martin Luther got this. He got this, that, that if we get this gospel of grace, this grace that's been poured upon us through his son Jesus Christ, that even if we depart, we will come back. If you get it, you're gonna come back. And listen, this is the beauty. And when you do, it will be as if you never left. If we really get this gospel, this, the, the purity of this gospel here that's being proclaimed to us as we see in Ephesians chapter two, if we get it, you'll always come back. You'll always come back. And when you do, it will be as if you never left. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I never get tired of trying to see that, that beautiful picture in Luke chapter 15, that parable of the, the prodigal son, a better possible way you can describe that as the prodigal father, where the son is coming back and the dad is on, I, I, I visualize a porch. They probably didn't have porches back then. Maybe they did, but I visualize a more modern porch, all right? So I need a little help with that, but it's no big deal. But that's what I visualize. And it's just, it's beautiful to see that scene where the father looks and he sees his boy and his boy's coming back and he he hikes up his skirt, which is really weird, right? And he starts running toward him. And for us, that's not a big deal, but it was huge in that time. You don't do that as a man. You don't hike up your skirt and start running towards someone. That's not what you do in that time. But that father did not care because his boy's coming back. And you always come back, and it was as if, as if he never, ever left. It was actually better, Right? Beautiful, gorgeous picture of the grace of God. God's grace is his one-way love. Salvation is not a two-man job. It's God's job from beginning to end. It's a one-handed salvation. It's grace alone. I wish I could... um, tell you that we, um, we kind of planned this sermon alongside orphan care. You know what I'm saying? I wish I could say, man, we do a great job, or I do a great job planning, so working on a sermon series. Oh, yeah, orphan care, let's do grace alone. But actually, it was all God, because what we're supposed to be preaching today is scripture alone, right? That's what we're supposed to be on. It's what everybody else is. So if you get on the podcast and you listen to the other congregations, they're preaching scripture alone. And I had told Brad House, 
a couple months ago, said, I, I think the order is scripture, faith, grace, and then Christ, and then glory. So you do scripture. And God's providence, he made sure we talked about grace alone today with orphan care. Because this display of what we see here on Sunday is not only a, a display of the grace of God, but it's also a way for us to see Ephesians chapter 2 the brokenness of humanity and the grace of God stepping in, right? Because it tells us something about how broken we are that we have to put a date on the calendar to remind ourselves to care for orphans, the fatherless, or that there would even be orphans. gives evidence and testimony that there's something wrong with us and there's something wrong with this world. And at the same time, we see a beautiful display of the grace of God because, man, these parents pursued these kids in love. It wasn't anything they did to deserve this or earn this. And it wasn't like any of these kids cast a vote and said, I want them as parents. It wasn't like Isaiah flew over here from Africa and did a series of interviews with everyone and said, hey, wow, let's just kind of, I'm trying to figure out a good parent to have here. And here comes David and Kristen Riggs. You know, it's like, David's a Buckeye fan. We can probably get over that a little bit. Wasn't a deal breaker for Isaiah, obviously, right? That's not at all what happened. And their love, they pursued them, adopted them into their family. It's unconditional. No strings attached. They are forever loved in that family. And what a beautiful picture for all of us in this room. We're all spiritual orphans lost, we're not seeking God the Father, but in his great love and mercy toward you, he sought you. He sought after you and gave you life. I love what Martin Luther says about this. He says, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. Isn't that beautiful? The love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. <laughs> Isn't that great? They are not loved because they are attractive. That's countercultural, isn't it? Wherever place else you go in this world, you're more loved the more attractive you are. And God goes, no, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not how it works in my economy. Sinners are attractive because they're loved by me, by God the Father. They are not loved because they're attractive. Salvation is by grace alone. If you're not a Christian here, look, my God's invitation for you is to embrace, is to own your brokenness, to feel your need, and give yourself to Jesus. That's it. He's done everything else. And I would argue that God comes and helps you feel your need and to own your brokenness so that you will cry out. And give your life. 
to Jesus. There's no greater love. This is what your heart is beating and created for. Give yourself to him. If you're a Christian here, then, then look, it's similar to what we talked a little bit about last week. It's like we don't move beyond this, right? You don't move beyond this teaching. I mean, I, like, I'm forever addicted, I think, that, and, I, and this is like, I mean, not addicted is probably a little hard, but the, I struggle constantly with the idea that God is, his position toward me is favor and love and unconditional acceptance, even though my week is pretty stinky. Like, guys, you have no idea the internal battles that I come up here with. I'm always sitting there going, man, I, this is what I do. You may, this may be too much. That's okay. I'm always sitting there going, what kind of week did I have? Man, if I had a stinky week, man, I'm not sure how good this is going to go, right? I want God to bless, do something amazing, and I'm, I'm always going back. Well, what did I do this week? How did this go? How did that go? Did I lose my patience? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm always equating my performance with God's favor, and it's like that's so jacked up and screwed up. That's not how God operates. Because of the work of Jesus, his posture toward me forever is love. He's for me. So we don't move beyond this, right? And so what we want to do is continue to grow in this. And so the question I just want to real quickly hear is how do I know if as a Christian I'm getting this, right? How, am I, how do I know if I'm getting the gospel of grace in me? Like how do I, how, what are some litmus tests, so to speak? So real quick, I want to give you four H's, all right? And some of the H's don't really work, but it helps you remember them, all right? So give me a little grace. The first one is you grow in humor. That's the H. It's kind of weird, I think, but that's all right. You grow in humor. And this is what I mean by that. You grow in joy. You learn to laugh at yourself. I think one of the, I think the church, God's people, should have a representative a testimony, a witness into the community that this is the most joyful people I ever come in contact with. Not fakey, happy, clappy Christianity that everybody wants to draw heave over. No, I'm talking about a, like a real rooted joy that when you're with them, there's something about them that's just a joyful presence. And I would say as you get the gospel of grace more and more in you, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We do a, a servant appreciation banquet every year. Josh puts this on and, uh, with a team of people and just does a really phenomenal job. And it's just a way for us to come alongside servants that serve week in and week out and just say thank you. It, it is. It's a small way. And we did one this past Wednesday night, and we had you know, close to 150 people here. And, and the goal in the night is to laugh. That's it. We play games. We end the night with the staff doing something stupid, right? <laughs> Some of you have seen this on social media. I think the video's got like a thousand hits for crying out loud. Uh, <laughs> even though we asked them to please put their phones away, they would not do that. And I've been really self-conscious about my moves up here because Ashley did dance on the moves up here, what I do. <laughs> That's what I want in our church. I want a real joy a laughter that's rooted in my continued understanding that I'm loved by God freely. It's a gift. The second age is holiness. A grace-filled life is not a sin-filled life. 
Did you hear that? A grace-filled life is not a sin-filled life. Yeah, I said you've got unlimited free sins, but when you really get that, it empowers you to fight sin. It's really weird. Grace grows you in your love for God that then is seen in your obedience to him. Holiness. So you grow in humor. Learn to laugh at yourself. You grow in holiness. You grow in humility. If there is one thing that should never be smelt from a Christian is arrogance and superiority. If we get grace, man, there is no room for arrogance in our life. There's no room for this kind of spiritual superiority toward other people. We should be growing in humility. People should interact with us in such a way to where they feel like, my goodness, I felt like, like I was the most important thing to them in that moment. Because I was, they were so interested in my life that we humble ourselves so much before one another that we want to engage and be present with them. And they feel like, wow, I am loved, I'm cared for, I'm important. And the last one is this, is that we grow in honesty. And we talk about this a lot, this honesty that we have before one another, but I I really think, man, this is where I push really hard with us as a community, is that we've got to grow in our honesty before the Lord. If we're not growing in our honesty before the Lord, then we're not growing in honesty with one another. So if we're trying to bring this polished, clean self before God, then, guys, we don't get grace. I read a book a couple years ago, and one of the things he said at the end of the book is it talked about, like, as you get older, the one word that you've got to embrace and live into is forgiveness. You've got to learn how to forgive yourself. You've got to learn how to forgive one another so that you don't enter into a horrible bitterness in your 60s and 70s. And then he also said, listen to me, you've got to learn how to forgive God. And when I first heard that, man, I'm like, what? And the reason why I said what is like, I mean, I, I, there's no, I, I, forgive God, that's, that's craziness. But if I'm honest with what my reality is and how I've lived and my experience in life, there are seasons, there are moments, and some of you know what I'm talking about, where you feel like God did not come through for you. He didn't move the mountain. So what do you do with that? Like you do what the Psalms do. The psalmist comes in with honesty and says, this is what I know, this is what I'm experiencing, this is really hard, this is really difficult. I know this is all really jacked up and weird, but God, help me. That's what you do. That's what God wants. That's what he's inviting you into. He doesn't want this little studio fake relationship where you kind of clean yourself up and roll in there. Hey, dear God, thank you for the day, blah, 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 blah. No, he wants honesty. I feel let down. That's what he wants. And the gospel of grace invites you to do that because that sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ. So we'll never be honest with one another as long as we just kind of like do fake Christianity before God. It's just crazy. It really is. My wife and I were headed down to Memphis a couple of months ago to go watch my oldest son running across country meet. And so we left on a Friday, and, you know, on our way down, we stopped in Nashville at Chick-fil-A, 
All right, so that's where we stop when we're going anywhere, especially on the weekdays, except for Sundays. They got to be closed on Sundays. But uh, <laughs> thankful for that. So we stopped there uh, on a Saturday or Friday, whenever it was, didn't matter. And we were ordering, we we're in line and ordering or getting ready to order. And there's a guy in front of us, probably in his late 30s, maybe early 40s. And he had black hair with a big old huge bald spot. And I, and I looked up and I had to do a double take. It's like, what in the, the world is, is that? Is that black shoe polish? There was, it looked like, I don't know if it was, because I didn't ask him, right? That would have been really weird. But it looked like there was black shoe polish on the back of this guy's head. Like, just completely, like, trying to cover up his bald spot. So I looked at Kathy, and she looked at me, and then we looked together. And we were, like, blown away. And then, then I looked and said, is this guy married? Man, there's got to be something really messed up here. Is this guy married? And sure enough, he had a ring on his finger, and I'm going, Oh, my goodness, what spouse would let their husband leave the house with shoe polish on their head? Like, just embrace it, buddy. You're married, right? And then I thought about that this week. And I thought, that's probably how ridiculous we look when we come before God and we try to hide. And we got black shoe polish trying to cover up our bald spot. I mean, it's a pretty intense moment in Genesis chapter 3, and if it wasn't so intense and horrible, it would be kind of humorous, right? When Adam and Eve try to cover themselves up with fig leaves, that's funny. And then they try to play hide and seek with omnipresence. <laughs> that's like. But that's us, isn't it? Like, guys, you're not getting grace if you're hiding. Grace empowers honesty before the Lord. Let's pray.